Welcome, welcome, welcome back to a brand new episode of the Spiraling Podcast. I am your host, Jackson Wallace. I believe we're on episode number 18 or something like that. We're getting up there in the numbers. Uh, Coming to you guys in post-production. Forgive me for that, by the way. I just visited uh, Jason's house. I'm back at the studio now doing a pre-recording of this in my voice because uh, for whatever reason, our setup, uh, you weren't able to hear me very, very well. Trust me, I went back in the editing process, tried to make it. Uh, My voice is amplified as possible, but if I missed a couple spots, please do forgive me for that. So this episode, we have Sonny McClamrock. He's joining us back again on the show. He's been on here before. If you guys don't remember Sonny, he is a former Houston police officer. Uh, Now he owns a gym and and runs his own thing. So uh, super excited to have him back on the show. This was a two-parter, okay? So what you guys are going to hear is a pre-recording right here of me uh, doing this intro, and you guys are going to hear the outro at the very end of the episode. We're going to kind of split this one up. We talked for a long time. It's a good one. I hope you guys enjoy it. Hope you guys all have a wonderful and fantastic day or evening. What are you guys doing? We'll see you later. Bye-bye. Welcome, welcome everybody back to a brand new episode of Spiraling the Podcast. We're on episode number 15, 16. We're somewhere in there, Jason. Anyway, I'm your host, Jackson Loss. I got my friend, my buddy, my pal, Jason Holland with me. Jason, how are you? I'm good, guys. How are y'all? You know, we're okay. We're, we're, we're hanging in there. It's been fun. So we did a podcast. Uh, I'm not sure exactly which one's going to come out first with Evan yesterday. So that was a good podcast. Really enjoyed that one. But today we're joined... Uh, by Sonny McClamrock. Uh, so Sonny, in case you, uh, for those of you guys who don't remember, part one of this already came out a couple of weeks ago. We really kind of took an in-depth uh, discussion with Sonny's life and his service as a police officer and his story. Um, but now he's back joining us for part two. He said in part, he said right after that uh, podcast, like I'm, I'm super happy uh, yeah. that you guys are coming in. I, I was coming to town so we can do this part two in person. But Sonny, how are you? Man? I'm doing well. I do much better in person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we, we started, so before the podcast, a little bit in the pre-show, Sonny came in and we kind of sat around the table and he just started going. We just started talking <laughs> and having a good time. He's got his water. He's ready to go, but you doing all right, man? I am. What you been up to lately? Trying to keep the gym open during a pandemic. Yeah, that's hard. Probably harder than even being a cop. Really? Yeah, because we, I've had a, like a cross be a cross training gym okay. for about four years and it's been inside of a larger franchise gym snap fitness yeah and so whether snap made money or not i always made money just yeah. because of the business relationship and contract that we had but then we talked about me buying the snap fitness about okay. a year and a half ago and so started working on that in september of 2019 yeah. And it happened five days before we closed on March the 18th. Oh, man. So our first two months in business, we were actually closed. Oh, what timing. Yeah. I know out of all the time. So, you know, first it was extremely uh, frustrating sure. to be closed and not be making money. But it, it did allow us to reanalyze and refocus and remodel the gym while we were closed and been blessed to have a little extra, you know, finances that we didn't, uh, didn't steer us towards a closing. Yeah. Um, but being open now for four months at 25 and 50% capacity has been probably the most frustrating thing because we're open. The gym looks good, has a lot of new equipment, but people just still aren't, 
quite willing to come and work out. Yeah. So what were were some of the challenges that you had? You said you kind of refocus and reanalyze with the gym. Is is that just kind of like new equipment and new stuff? Or is that kind of like shaping how you want the layout to be of the equipment? Or is that just kind of like a re analyzation of like the different type of services that you guys do or well every five years with snap fitness you have to go through an upgrade enhancement okay so it just so happened that the year that i bought it was the wow. year that we needed to enhance it so they modernized the gym with different colors different flooring so we had to do okay. all that and gotcha. so it did work being closed that we were able to do all the work you know, put new flooring down, and paint the walls and um, making the gym flow better. Uh, we often, the, the cross training and functional fitness world is very different than just a open and close, what we call a box gym. Okay. But we flowed a little bit of the functional fitness into the gym for a little younger crowd. Um, yeah. Functional equipment like a rower or an assault bike or a curved treadmill more free weights, putting in Olympic lifting racks, power lifting racks, um, and more targeting the healthy, even though most people that come to a gym, 78% are just looking to lose weight. Those people aren't ready to come back yet because a lot of them are really overweight and they've been told that obesity is you know, uh, an issue with the virus. Right. So we've actually been targeting the young and the healthy, okay. which is very different. Um, but we, when you're spending a couple thousand dollars targeting basically everybody, yeah. the only people coming in are under 30 mm-hmm. and already semi-fit. And they came in just looking for a gym membership because their gym was closed. Right, they look somewhere else. Yeah. So they can already go right out there, staying on that routine, and they just want to keep that going. Yeah. Yeah, I could imagine that that's, that's difficult, especially kind of during everything. So hopefully you guys will get able to back up and function to full capacity. Right you know, the governor on Monday put us at 75%. Okay. So we've increased our capacity, increased our class sizes in our group fitness programs, um, restricted or lessened some of the social distancing to allow more people to be able to come in. Sure. So yeah, uh, you got to arrange equipment in a certain way yes. and, and, and have it all set up. Yeah. So. It's, I understand why some restaurants and businesses just chose not to even open at 25 yeah. and even 50 because it's almost more work. Yeah. Especially with the disinfecting cost. You've got employees that don't want to come in um, and all the rules and the standards. And, you know, gyms were at the very top of the list for places that were unsafe. Yeah. Even though there was zero scientific evidence to show that. Um, yeah. So we, we fought it. I mean, we complied. Yeah. Um, but we put what we thought was factual information on social media. And we lost about 250 clients. Wow. Um, since we were closed, but we've added over 250 clients um, since we've been open. So we're actually on the positive side as of mid-September. That's good, man. That's yeah. good. Ho- hopefully the uh, uh, fortune keeps tipping uh, yeah. towards y'all's favor as we close out 2020 and head into 2021. And we're all kind of ready to get this yeah. shit done and over with. But anyway, so Sonny, last time 
when you came on the show, we talked about you as a person and kind of like your upbringing, right? You know, where you kind of grew up and how that kind of helped mold you into the man that you are today. Um, and we, we kind of touched on your uh, your time with the police department. Um, and I just thought I would give kind of a little small refresher to the listeners um, and talk about specifically Jason for a second. Um, so I remember last time we talked about you got a call uh, about a, a mental health uh, issue. And so you responded to it. And um, I was curious, once you responded and you met Jason, what were some of the concerns that you had when you realized kind of what you were dealing with? You're always concerned for the person's immediate future. Sure. Because in those situations, they're not thinking completely mm-hmm. and they're only thinking inwardly. And when people do uh, in their lives, the only people that suffer are those that are around them. Yeah. And so knew, knowing that he was married, um, I had had some extensive training in mental illness. I had actually became a certified mental okay. mental illness officer for UT police because it was in the medical center. Sure. And we worked with, with patients and at MD Anderson. And so um, I was one of the few officers that could identify some, you know, of the signs of uh mental ill person or somebody struggling, you know, we, we, we never diagnose, but we do handle those people differently, more fragile. Sure. Um, and so the biggest concern is always eliminating the initial threat, mm-hmm. putting the person in a safe place, either in their own mind or putting the person in a safe place physically. Sure. And that just depends on the really the situation, how much support do they have? But it's always scary when uh, they don't have a lot of support, or when there's maybe children involved, yeah. and when they can't even see those people. That's when I always became worried. Yeah, I could imagine, Jason. I guess I, I asked you this question too. Um, so I guess what was it kind of like, you know? Uh, your perspective whenever you met Sonny and, and you were in that situation and he and he was and he was helping you. Um what, what was all that kind of like from your perspective? You know, um in the moment I, I don't I don't recall what happened in the moment. Sure. Just just uh, the relationship that, that Sonny and I um, started developing after the fact about um, eating healthy and changing the way I lived and yeah. um, you know one thing that Sonny's taught me is is what what you put in your body is is food but it's fuel for your body yeah so we were joking this morning Chick Fil A I saw the Chick Fil A Sonny's not too happy with that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, it's, it's really um, it's really interesting on on the perspective of, of eating healthy, and it really does affect your body and your mind on what you're putting in. So the more sodas you put in your body, the more junk food you put in your body. Yeah. <clears throat> um, the more 
fuzzy things become. But if I'm drinking water, tea, eating fruit, and eating chicken, yeah, I'm I'm thinking clearly. Sure. I'm able to do things uh, a lot more efficiently, uh, and and I lose weight. Um, so I've I've steadily been losing weight over the last couple of months. Hey, you look good, man. I haven't been working out at all, but just watching what I eat, watching my body, and it's uh it's been paying off. So, so you know, not I was also curious as to what he would remember. Yeah, and I too don't remember all the details. Yeah, of course. I just I remembered. Always being empathetic because empathy or sympathy is free mm-hmm. and everyone's entitled to that. Even the person you're fighting who's trying to hurt you, they're still in, they're fighting you for a reason. Something's going on in their life. Sure. And that's where we can't take vengeance or revenge as officers because we're just getting a small piece of what's going on. Yeah. And then when you do go to these calls of attempted suicides or stuff, you don't actually know if this is a chemical or biological disorder or is this a circumstantial temporary depression that isn't really caused by some sort of chemical imbalance. We're not doctors. We're not even close to that, but we're the first responders. Yeah. You know, we typically beat the EMS medic there who is trained more in seeing someone's, you know, outward appearance and actions and maybe can know if they're on some sort of drug or narcotic, even though we do see that. Yeah. Typically, EMS isn't being called out to this scene unless there's already been an attempt. Okay. And so, um, a lot of times, especially like with younger people, it's just for attention. Yeah. And so the, the officers become desensitized to these types of calls because they're oh, 99% of those calls are somebody's just looking for attention, you know? Right. And so they don't actually, when they do run into these situations, there is no sympathy or empathy there and they just hand her like a standard call. And that's when things can get bad. Yeah. And so one of the first things I typically ask the, the victim or the, the, the caller is, are they on any sort of medication? Cause then that gives me just a little bit of insight into, are we dealing, are we dealing with somebody who's being seen by somebody, doctor or counselor, you know, what medications are they on? When's the last time have they ever tried to hurt themselves in the past? Sure. Oh yeah. Yeah. This, this, this might not be looking for attention, you know? And she was, I remember your wife just being very distraught, you know, just almost like at wit's end. And that made, that moves my heart. Um, and it doesn't matter to me whether the, I'll, I'm just going to, I'll say suspect, um, just for lack of words, <laughs> has been aggressive or not, because everybody, when put in a corner, reacts in just one of several various ways. And yeah. you've heard of the fight or the flight. Sure. You know, and so even if that person so chooses to fight, um, they're still the person that's hurting. Yeah, they're they're acting out of their character, 
And so if these aren't things that you can be empathetic to, you will come into the house where maybe I'm just going to do a, a, a scenario little yeah standard yeah she's super depressed and has been he's been cheating on her she, her dad cheated on her mom yeah she was touched by a cousin when she was seven or eight and she's just had enough yeah and they're sitting on the bed and he's trying to help her and she's on all sorts of anti-depression pills and she i'm gonna kill myself and she lashes out and scratches him on the face and locks herself in the room and the officers you know get called well we're having to kick in the door because he's look at my face She's on all sorts of these pills, so then we're going to handle her with violence. We probably shouldn't. Yeah. You know? So, that, so family domestic violence mm-hmm. and traffic accidents are where most cops are injured and or killed because we're in your world. We're in your home. We're in your car. Yeah. You know where all the weapons are. You know where all the safe places are. Um, in Texas, police officers are our official titles are actually called public servants. Yeah. And so, even when you're arresting or fighting, you're still actually serving, trying to maintain the peace. We're called peacekeepers. Yeah. Most officers don't operate in that capacity. They operate with some a little vigilant being. I wouldn't say an outlaw, but there is the mindset. I have the badge, which is the authority. Right. I have my gun. Now I have the power to enforce the authority or all the laws that I, how I interpret them. So we go into these, these houses where there is some sort of family violence with a mentally ill person yeah and we have to put rubber bullets in our gun we have to put rubber handcuffs and i'm being a little facetious here because we don't have you know really any of that right but we can't return violence for violence with a mentally ill sure. person yeah who has i mean i've had a gun pointed at me who had a had his gun pointed at him asking me to kill him wow and you i don't want to die so i've got my gun weapon him i don't want to shoot him you know the minute that that now i chose not to shoot him i would just dare say the overwhelming majority officers would shoot him but in that moment i made myself small turned sideways got on my knees made my my body a harder target to hit yeah and i'm not watching the end of his barrel which is scary because then you get tunnel vision and that's all you can see yeah but he's shaking and at the distance at where we were he's not going to hit me that's how i not so analyze that scene pretty quick we're 30 feet away from each other. Mm-hmm. Now, if he fires, I'm probably naturally going to fire back. 
but we were able, not me, but other people were able to come in and speak to him. And he eventually, like with the snipers came, there was like, I don't even know how many guns on him. And eventually he put the weapon down. But I I truly believe if, if I wasn't the initial officer on the scene or somebody that hadn't been trained like me, that man's life. And he was mentally ill. Yeah. Like off his medication. I think his parents had called us and they'd even put him in a home. And somehow or another, he had went back home, got his dad's gun. Wow, scary. And was threatening to kill himself. So uh, that that person in that moment doesn't want to live in sure. just that little bitty moment, but probably does want to live. And I think any officer would have had the right. I mean, you got a gun pointed at you, you know, sure to, to shoot that individual and say, I don't want to die. I want to go home to my family. But I just chose to do that. And I think, again, in, in, in those situations, not necessarily right or wrong. Um, but, you know, anytime you see law enforcement get arrest a mentally ill person, or especially somebody that maybe is handicapped mm-hmm. or retarded or slow, it's always bad. It's always bad. And it doesn't matter how we paint the picture. You just like punching an elderly person. You know, the elderly person can stab me with a knife just like a young person can. But it's it's it really is about valuing life over anything right. in that moment. And I value life. So that was how I went into all of these calls. Yeah. You said before you made yourself smaller, a little bit of a harder target, and that you were happy that you were the initial officer on the scene because you, you said you had been uh, received some kind of training, trained a certain way. Do you mind going into detail about that training? Did you receive some kind of special training from the department or from somewhere different? Or um, is it just kind of you as a person? I'm just kind of curious as, uh, or I guess my overall kind of question is, do you think all officers should, retreat, should receive that kind of training that you did that led you to make that decision in that moment? That's hard. Sure. Um, one of the scenarios that when I was getting hired by Missouri City was um, dispatch sends you to a call where a uh, a neighbor calls and says, I hear two people screaming and yelling and they're talking about killing each other and guns. Yeah. And so the call proceeds to say, you go level one, code one. Okay. So we're running lights and sirens. You're the first one there. As you get out of the car, um, you see a male run out in the front door, trip and fall, turns over, lays on his back, and a woman come out with a shotgun, and she's screaming, I'm going to kill you. Yeah. Go. Right. Um, the answer that I gave them was, I'm going to use my vehicle as cover. Mm-hmm. I'm going to 
tactically put myself, if I can, uh, behind the engine block. So if she does try to fire at me, it's not just concealment. Like the, the engine is blocking the bullets. Right. Shots. Yeah. And I'm going to and scream initially, mm-hmm. um, put the weapon down or I'm going to shoot. Yeah. I don't, I didn't feel at the time I needed to address that individual that I'm a policeman. I'm sitting there in a police car. Mm-hmm. I had uh, my uniform. And while I'm telling her to put the, the gun down, I'm going to shoot. My weapon is drawn and pointed at her. Yeah. And I'm aimed on her. And somebody said, before I even finished, how long are you going to wait? That's a question. And I said, in the heat of the moment, I could see myself honestly waiting a second or two. So now the scenario has changed. Yeah. So now that we've got to roll with it. So the the question is posed, what now the guns pointed at him, he's screaming for his life. She's screaming, I'm going to kill. What if she pulls the trigger and shoots him? Yeah. I said, I would probably immediately shoot her two to three rounds. Yeah. Center mass. Okay. What if she turned and pointed the gun at you? Would you wait? When would you shoot her? I said, immediately when she points the weapon at me. Yeah. And the question was posed, you shot her when the weapon was pointed at you, but you didn't shoot her when the weapon was pointed at him. And I said, in that situation where I'm dealing with a female, Mm -hmm. I'm close enough to where if I shoot, I know I've been shooting and hunting since I was five. Yeah. She's going to die. I'm not going to hit her in the arm. I'm not going to hit her in the leg. I'm going to hit her in center. I'm taking her life. Yeah. And I guess in that one to two seconds that I was hesitant, I felt like I needed to give her the opportunity to put the gun down because if y'all saw a video of me rolling up, taking my gun out and shooting a woman without saying anything or waiting anything, we're now going to be in some trouble. She could have shot him inside. She could have shot him as he was running out the door. She could have shot him when he was laying on the ground begging not, but she hadn't. So was her intent now to shoot him in front of me? Right. Well, after that, I was actually scored low because I didn't immediately kill her. But I was told by almost from the chief up that when they asked me why I didn't, they were satisfied with my answer. Yeah. Um, So going back to 
my training. Yes. Uh, I did not get specific training on making myself small. Okay. Uh, I never did the squat, but I did hunt. And the smaller you make and more condense your body, the, the stiller you can be. It's like laying on the ground. Sure. If I'm going to shoot, I'm going to post up against a tree. If mm-hmm. I can't, if I can get on the ground, I'm going to get on the ground. That makes me more stable. Yeah. Um, as far as making me small, as funny as this sounds, I've seen that a lot in movies. Yeah. And I also knew that a lot of these actors get people paid um, to help them train. But they fall down to the knee, they turn sideways, and everything kind of lines up. I had no cover in this particular situation. I walked around on this guy and was completely exposed. So cover and concealment are kind of two different things. Concealment is me behind him, behind the wall. Yeah. A bullet can still go through it. Concealment is when I'm actually hid behind something that I'm protected by. Okay. A column of concrete or a car engine. I had neither concealment or the only thing I could have done was tactically retreat at that point where he's no longer in my sight. Yeah. Now I was sent there to protect him. And I felt like if he's going to shoot me and I run, he's going to shoot me in the back. So as I came around the corner, I already had my weapon out, mm-hmm. but it was pointed directly at anybody in particular. He was sitting in a chair. Um, and as soon as I saw him, he was just sitting with the, the gun in between his knees. And then I just came out with it and said, drop the gun. Yeah. The first thing he does is just put it to his head and says, kill me. Just by not dropping the gun, he could have easily just went like that and shot me because reaction time is always slower than action. Yeah. So by the time you do something, it's 0.7 seconds for my brain to realize it Mm -hmm. and to act. And that's why a lot of times you will see officers act what the public would be perceived as um, too quickly. Yeah. Um, You know, get your hand out from behind your back. Get your hand out from behind your back. You're scaring me. Get your hand out from behind your back. Why is he not getting his hand out from behind his back? Yeah. I've seen too many documentaries where with the gun, I can bring it around, shoot you before all that officer can do is pull seven or ten pounds. I'm having to react to all of it. So then the guy goes like this really super fast and gets shot. So I believe in any of those situations where the officer truly believes that his life is in danger, he has that right to take that life. So there's not a moral right answer. Sure. There's not a policy right answer. It's how that officer is. Is he in physical shape? Is he sweating profusely? Did he barely pass the the range? All of those things come into consideration that most people don't think about. Yeah. This guy's barely passing, but he's passing. You know, he does really good at the standing still targets, but he does really bad as he, if he's having to move. So the officer should know his physical capabilities, his shooting capabilities. And so if he's not very confident, he's not very healthy, all of those 
things come into play. How long has he been on the force? Is he a veteran? Is he a rookie? So you can't tell a, a veteran, a rookie, to do exactly what a veteran would do over 25 years of experience. Yeah. So that's where the officer has discretion. And that's where the, the lawsuits and because the policies will always stand with the officer if you feel like your life, if you bodily injury or death, you can go one step above that. It's because the, the force continuum. So in those situations where we're dealing with somebody who wants to end their life, 99% of the time, they don't want to end my life. Yeah. I know they have a gun. I know they could point it at me. I know that my reaction time is going to be slow, slower than theirs. They're probably not trained in even how to shoot. I mean, all the things you see in movies of them shooting and riding motorcycles and shooting behind them. I could pull a weapon out, stand two people 25 foot apart, and they wouldn't be able to shoot each other standing still because the barrel is only four or five inches. You move a half an inch, that bullet's changed its entire course by the time it yeah. gets to. Now you add, I'm nervous, you're shaking, it's dark, target's moving, it's just not happening. So knowing that that individual doesn't want to probably harm me, they're asking me to harm them, I'm not at that point too afraid. Sure. Have officers been killed by deranged, uh, you know, victims or suspects? Uh, yes, they have because they wanted to end their lives and the, and the police officer was trying to not. So they killed the officer and then killed themselves because the officer was standing in between them. Yeah. So that is a, a scenario. Um, I think at that point, most officers would do what their heart says in their training, their head yeah. says. I had a tendency to follow my heart over my head. Yeah. And you know what? If it would have had gotten me killed, um, that's how I would have still chose that, that scenario. Because I always tried to lead. I It's like a, a, a Christian that has a, a, a secular or a worldly job. Um, I want to represent Christ as a bookstore owner. I want to represent Christ. I want to represent Christ as a policeman. Yeah. Um, I want that. That trumps anything else. And not saying that I was ready to sacrifice my life, but we all swear an oath to say I am willing to put my life in arms danger mm -hmm. to help save somebody else. Well, that's a perfect scenario of putting yourself in arms danger to try to help somebody else. So I think an officer is justified in, in any in any way. Somebody, again, that's had very specific training from another department. I would I would easily say I was a top three to five shooter because of all the hunting I did growing up mm -hmm. and maybe even top five physically fit person. So I had a lot of confidence in my abilities, my skills. Yeah. Um, that's what led me to do, to do those things. 
Ooh, man, what an episode, guys. What an episode. Again, big shout out to Sonny uh, for coming on. That was part one, guys. Okay, so here's the outro again. Jack coming back at you guys back in the studio, uh, wrapping up this episode for you guys. Uh, really enjoyed having Sonny on for this one. You guys got to hear a lot about his police officer career. And so giving you guys a little sneak peek, a little snippet into next week uh, for part two, Sonny's going to be talking about a lot of his uh, personal struggles with uh, with sexual addiction, right? I know it's a topic that we've, you guys probably noticed, we've been hitting it pretty hard, we've been hitting it pretty heavy, um, but but that's all for kind of for a greater purpose. Maybe you guys will see that a little bit later, but hope you guys enjoyed the episode as always. Hope you guys come back for part two. Remember, you guys can find us where all podcasts can be heard, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. So you, uh, you guys can find us there. Uh, be sure to leave a like, comment, subscribe. Okay. Give us a little bit of a follow. Really would appreciate it. Thank you guys all so much. Hope you guys have a wonderful and fantastic day. Bye-bye.